Hello, this is Gary, listening to Thinking Out Loud. Today, since it's Sunday, September 13th, mostly because it's Sunday, I wanted to just be a little more free-flowing, just kind of go, jot some topics down, I want to veer away from politics, although lots of topics isn't really politics necessarily, really, it's, you know, state of affairs, you know. It's more like civics or something. Um, and like, you know, what, 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 is, what are the duties of Americans and stuff like that? It's not really politics. Politics is like R is better than D or D is better than R. You know, blue is better. No, red is better. That, that's basically politics. But anyway, I want to steer away from that. <clears throat> so today... I'll talk about some of my other favorite interests, specifically like music, sports, and movies. Those are probably you know, the three other main things in my life that probably take up the most of my time and thought and energy, and how I relate to my family and stuff like that too. You know, like it's so those are more like when it comes to politics and music or sports or any of those things. Those are all things I engage in with my family and stuff too, so so as far as like an activity, some people list that as like they're an activity that they do, like it's like a separate thing, but that's just sort of a constant. But, uh, but music, I remember uh, just being really into music pretty young, just the, the enjoying sound, good quality sounds, really gravitated to like the oldies type stuff when I was a kid, uh, 50s and 60s, like pop music, you know, um, Little Richard was one of my favorites as a kid, and plus uh, like uh, the Beach Boys, I like the Beach Boys a lot, okay, but also like bands like uh, Alabama and a lot of that stuff that was popular in the 80s like Tears for Fears and Huey Lewis and the News and Billy Joel I remember listening to those a lot as I was pretty little like single digits you know six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old I, I lived in Japan for a while we had uh Japan had these things called Laserdisc which was this biz, big disc the size of a album but you know the uh, technology of a CD. So it was, it was the thing that came out right before a DVD. I don't think they ever really caught on in America. These DVDs came out not that much later, but we had like uh, a bunch of those because we lived in Japan. You know, they were made by uh, JVC. And um, <clears throat> we had like a whole slew of like, uh, you know, music video ones of like Huey Lewis and Billy Joel. And there's other ones too, uh, Led Zeppelin's music, when they, and there was a bunch of like live, those ones I didn't watch quite as much, especially being a kid, short attention span. But they had like, you know, like an REO Speedwagon, and, uh, but there was also uh, some Willie Nelson in there, and some other ones, but yeah. Yeah, I remember just absorbing a lot of that, and then uh, Tears for Fears was big in the mid-80s. Uh, the weird 
But that was just kind of stuff that was I just had like access to. It was way pre like digital music or anything like that. I remember there might have been for like a few years early in my teenage years, I, I just had like a little alarm clock radio as my sound system. So I just had to tune into 107.7 the end. That was kind of my go-to. And then there was 102.5, which was like the classic rock station. Because when I was a teenager, I kind of bounced between what was pop, you know, grunge, alternative, uh, 90s rock or whatever. Uh, so like, you know, Jane's Addiction, Nine Snails, uh, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, uh, Soundgarden, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Green Day. Smash Mouth, I was listening to a lot of that, but then also like a lot of classic rock stuff too, like, uh, you know, uh, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, Steve Miller Band, Bad Company, War, uh, you know, uh, The Doors, Jimi Hendrix, ACDC, The Who, listening to a lot of stuff, especially because uh, when I was about 10, after living in Japan for three years in Sasebo, uh, which is kind of a, a small but bustling little, tightly contained little city. At least that's how I remember it as a kid. So it was like a city, but it was small. It's You won't even really, even on a bigger map of Japan, you're probably not going to, it'll be a pretty tiny one on there. But they just build them up. It was, I remember it being pretty bustling. So lots of kids and stuff, military base. Then when I was 10 or 11 years old, my parents got a uh, house would be island uh, north would be kind of a good five miles or so outside of town a town that was already you know in my mind a dinky little town anyway needless to say there was many long hours kind of uh, hanging out with uh, not a whole lot to do especially since I didn't uh, get a car until it was uh, like halfway through fall quarter of my senior year that was real fun Being a senior, like two years into my already having a driver's license and still not having a car. Parents got me a 69 Mustang, but, you know, it didn't run. It was just the body of it. They're like, oh, if you help fix it, I just, uh, I don't, I don't really have a very mechanical mind. Just a lot of that shit just doesn't make sense to me. I did change the alternator once, but, uh, on a car, but, yeah, I, just, I didn't really have much interest in fixing cars. I wanted to play sports. So, Anyway, uh, it was many long hours, so I, I listened to a lot of music uh, in my room, my parents' house, growing up. And then my dad would go down there and organ uh, in summers and Christmas break and stuff. He's a musician. He was uh, the most he ever made in a year playing music. I think he said it was something like close to 10 grand or something like that, maybe, if that. I don't even think he, you know, it's a few grand. You know, and it basically just kind of covered the cost of, you know, being a musician, you know, getting to the gigs and replacing strings and, you know, you know, tuning up amps and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, you know, a little bit of a food stipend, cover some of the food costs, you know, but it, he didn't really do it for the money necessarily, but there was one year where he, he played like some crazy number of weeks out of 52. Like it was, I'm pretty sure it was over 40. 
But, you know, classic rock covers band mostly. He kind of ventured out a little bit further a few, few times, played other kind of stuff, country, hip, rock, and uh, funk, and he play all kinds of shit. He's been uh, playing guitar for shit. Uh, I don't know. Is it 50? No, over well over 40, because uh, I'm 40, and he was, he was playing in a band in Texas in the late 70s. <clears throat> but he's a damn good guitar player. He was in a coma for uh, like a month a few years ago. He had a bunch of like mini strokes and then went into a coma and then came out and was uh, zipping around on a motorcycle uh, just like a few months later. And still playing live, but he wasn't up to, last time I talked to him, he wasn't up to the, his standards. He liked to be able to play, but he was uh, slowly getting back. And just a, at that point, just a few months removed from being out of a coma. Uh, big shoes, I suppose. Well, and literally, he wears a size 15. I'm only 5'11", I wear a size 13 shoe, but my dad's like 6'1", 6'2"-ish. He wears a size 15. Big old feet. <laughs> big old feet, you know what that means? Got big shoes to put on those big feet. That's what it means. Anyway. Um, but all those hours just hanging out in my room. My parents house, like way out in the country. And there, was, and there was one year where I just happened to have a buddy that lived like down the road a smidge. Which was... Which was cool, but then his parents got divorced, so he moved. So there was no kids my age in the neighborhood, you know. It was <laughs> so and I could uh, walk a mile to get to the fucking bus stop that goes once an hour just to get into Old Carver, which is Old Carver. But the, you know, I would do that sometimes just because it would be people, you know. And sometimes my friends feel sorry for me and actually. Come all the way out and pick me up and go bowling or something. We'd go to a movie. We'd do, because just me and my dorky friends. But music was constantly going. So it's like, while I was listening to like, kind of the stuff they're playing on the alternative stations and also classic rock, I was also listening to like uh, Christian punk music. Um, I'm that. One's just Christian music in general. So like, Goatee Hook, Five Iron Frenzy, uh, The Orange County Supertones, Joy Electric, and then um, MXPX was in there too. Got to hang out with MXPX once backstage, that was pretty sweet. One of my Sigma Nu bros uh, is from Bremerton, where MXPX is from. He was actually like, he was actually like on their, uh, the, the, um, whatchamacallit? On one of their tours, he kind of worked on one of their tours once. Time in school, LZ was like, "Did you want to go see MXPX?" Like, fuck yeah, awesome. Drove all the way from, we drove from Cheney all the way to. Uh, they were playing somewhere in Seattle, and saw so MXPX and got to hang out backstage with them. Got to meet, and that was. Tom and Yuri. Cool dudes. Yeah, it's way chill. And then they just put on a great show. Went crowd surfing, got kind of caught up in the CMNMXPX Live again and being able to like 
hang out with them. And because they they they'd known Elsie for like forever. They even knew about the place where I lived, because Elsie was the guy that owned the place. So he was also my landlord, and it was uh, yeah, it's kind of like wow, it's such a small world. Their album uh, slowly like, slowly going the way of the buffalo. It's kind of like their major label debut. Was uh, I? There'd be stretches of times where I'd listen to it every day, at least once, you know, for like weeks on end. It just um, it came out in I think '98 or '99. And it just uh, made a lot of sense where I was at that time. For me, it's late teens. I downloaded that onto my Spotify recently, since I don't have the CDs anywhere. That one's, that's a good one. The Mix PX, slowly going the way of the Buffalo. So I was listening to a lot of, a lot of tunes, and then I was also real into movies. One thing I had in one of my college classes when I was at Skagit was a uh, intro to film history or something. So uh, it was, and it was linked with an English class. What we would do in that is we'd watch westerns and then we'd write about it. So, was, <laughs> so we watched like uh, I don't think we watched Tombstone in the class, but I remember we had we discussed the movie Tombstone for one of our projects. <laughs> that was pretty cool. So we watched like The Searchers, um, shit, there's one that, uh, James Stewart did late in his career, and it's like a kind of a clear, not-so-subtle anti-war movie, I forget what that one's called, uh, where's, what were the other ones, shit, oh, did we watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly? Fuck, I can't remember. Anyway, I've seen a, quite a few westerns, and uh, those are there's a lot of good ones. I think my favorite westerns, going with no particular order, it's kind of um, Tombstone. Um, oh, what's up? What's up? Dead Man with Johnny Depp. Um, Silverado. Uh, Pale Rider, and uh, let's see, well yeah, although I haven't seen it for years, but it still kind of left an impression that Unforgiven, that was an intense one, Good, the Bad, the Ugly, of course. Generally not one of my f more favorite genres, but the ones that I do like, I really like. I don't know how many times I've seen Tombstone. I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> Say when. Val Kilmer, that's awesome. Val Kilmer's been in some good ones. Man, he's made some turkeys, though. Jeez. He's made some really amazing movies, but he's also made some... What are you doing... But, you know, whatever, you know. I think it's it's got to be tough if you make so much money at such a young age and you can just kind of coast. It doesn't really matter, you know. And you get paid to do the work you do anyway. And you have your name, so, you know, if you just want to work in B-movies or whatever, you can. You just don't want to kind of mail it in. But 
I don't know. But when he flips it on, he's he's really good. Same with uh, Nicolas Cage. He's another one of my favorites. Raising Arizona is probably one of my all-time favorites, along with, like, you know, Pulp, Pulp Fiction, Big Lebowski, Dazed and Confused. Uh, Breaking Away. That's a good one. I don't, that one does not make enough lists. My grandma showed me that one when I was a kid. Just, like, connected with it so instantly. And, yeah, instantly became one of my all-time favorites, just like the first time I saw it. It was already a movie that was, you know, whatever, 20 years old or something at the time. Or maybe not quite that old, but made in the late 70s. Really young cast. Dennis Quaid. Um, dude that was, uh, he was in fucking, ah, shit. Well, he was in Bad News Bears. He was Kelly Leak. That's probably that's what I most associate him with. But he, he's a little older in this one. I think it came out after Bad News Bears. And then there's um, who's the other? There's another other big actor in there. Oh, oh yeah, um, Daniel Stern. Yeah, I think in there too. But that was that's a good one. That's just a classic. Breaking Away. <laughs> Highly gotta be one of his, yeah, most inspiring, you know, uh, overcoming obstacles and, um, you know, working towards a goal and, and getting it. Spoiler alert, I, I don't give a fuck, you know, just, I mean, it's just a, just a good, you know, yeah, didn't, don't really, just don't really make perfectly told, inspiring get simple stories with character like that anymore. They don't do well. They gotta have all the fucking graphics and my favorite scene in that. It, it, I'm, and I'm sure they filmed it at least relatively practically. Um, he's uh, bicycling, and it's like uh, what does it say? It says like Bloomington 50, like 50 miles away, whatever. And, and he starts pedaling towards first the slow rate, and then like this semi truck passes him. And he kind of like gets up the speed to kind of start drafting off him, and then the semi truck just slowly starts increasing speed, and he keeps keeps up with him because he's able to draft off this big semi truck, which you can do, especially on a very flat surface. And if you're a highly elite bicyclist, which uh, the character in the movie is, and the actor playing him, I'm sure got in a pretty darn good shape. Um, you know, like you can do that. You know, did they get to the those exact speeds? I don't, I don't know. But the, when they're, they're the shots, it's like it's clear that there's a bicycle. There's a dude on a bicycle bicycling really fast behind a semi truck, and they're filming it. You know, like that. There's there's some effects going on or whatever, but it's not CGI or anything. It's like you know they got some like mounted cameras on the truck or something, and you know maybe a few different takes and all that kind of thing, but. It's just cool, because you're seeing someone, and, you know, bicycle that fast, and at one point it gets up to, like, it gets really fast, and it's so fast that he ends up getting a speeding ticket, the the, the truck, and he's like, oh, because <laughs> he's holding out his hands, it's like the speed gets up, high fire and fire, it's like four, and then 45, 50, 
And I think he gets all yeah, he gets all the way up to sixty miles an hour. Which you can do on a bicycle. I mean, uh I don't know how fast I was going exactly. Um when I was zipping down the Cascade Mountain Range at uh <laughs> uh well you know it was yeah. Late, yeah, that was an interesting journey, three days. But anyway, uh, going down uh, Highway 20 in the Cascade Mountain Range is the northernmost um, pass. It's like the steepest one. I, I just did that one just because uh, I wanted a good, vigorous challenge. So climbing up from the other side, that took quite a while. But the zip down, yeah. I mean, there's no sense in even really pedaling, so it's really just kind of hang on to the fucker, you know, and uh, keep good balance. Kind of had to kind of keep my butt off the seat the whole way down because it's you know it's a zipping, you know, the slightest little gust can really uh, zip you along. But I was keeping right up with the flow of traffic though, so you know, because uh, it's it's steep. <clears throat> It's a little tricky on those corners, you know, going that, going well over 50 miles an hour on a bicycle, but uh, certainly exhilarating. Uh, definitely got to, you know, work your way up to that. I, I spent, prior to that, although I trained properly, for, I think, for that ride, uh, I didn't really plan properly nutrition-wise. The amount of calories, I kind of started calculating it after, and it was probably burning about uh, well, anywhere from eight to ten thousand calories a day, because uh, I was biking like ten to like ten twelve hours, um, just kind of steady, just kind of seeing what I can do relative to what those dudes that do like the Tour de France, you know, uh, that that just seems insane. I don't even, you know, that's like another level of, you know, because it's in the Alps and shit. It's like, and it's every day, you know, like, that's, uh, that's the marathon of all marathons right there. I just like the idea, though, though, of being able to cover up an immense distance just on a bicycle, you know, just your own power. Because, um, yeah, walking, it just takes too long. Don't really like walking all that much, but I have, uh, you know, walked quite a few miles in my day. Uh, longest continuous walk over a few days is probably about 60 miles. I did that over a uh, course of a few days while I was going through a divorce. Seemed to be apt at the time. No regrets on going on a long walk for a few days. But, uh, chaotic time so I just had to kind of step out of the rat race hamster wheel thing for a bit and just kind of sauntered down an old retired railroad line that kind of went north-south kind of near the kind of started in Northern California there it's just one of those lines they probably built way back when you know, to get to the gold mines and stuff, and then as it became no longer a necessity, they just kind of, you know, banded it, and then, you know, trees start growing over it and stuff, but, you know, all that metal and stuff, it's still there, and, you know, it's a great little path. I always thought it'd be cool to 
find a way to recycle all that all those old lines uh, reuse that metal in some reappropriate it in some way but then all those retired lines that space just converted to just normal trails not paved trails but just like more like horse trails um, I think you know because gaining a product and then a little bit of maintenance here and there to maintain the trails it would be uh, what you might call it uh, what's that term real estate the fucking uh, easement so for people that like don't want or whatever they can have like little sections where it's kind of more insulated or whatever you know from private property but it's already there you know so just and people are already using it as that I I did I did pass many you know well not a ton but I wasn't the only one with that idea at that particular period of time you know there, there was other people that were using that old abandoned line to kind of you know just kind of maneuver through all the chaos you know all the sort of rigidness all the sort of straight lines and um, you know digital stuff and all that it was kind of off the grid for good sections of it it was nice And then, uh, you know, I filmed myself a little bit, but just had to get out, get out of the, uh, yeah, because corporate life can kind of, mm, I found it very unfulfilling. It's like, what, what's the motivation, you know? But work hard so we can increase shareholder value. Yeah. Ooh, people with the most money—they they want more. Oh, goody! I'm gonna really put in a top-notch effort for that, yo. But some a lot of the way I view the world and stuff, and how I've kind of helped understand, kind of helped—is not you know been a a wide variety of different things, you know, uh, from you know. Methodist upbringing and stuff like that, but then you know, music, movies, other people I got to see on TV, and and then obviously look up to in real life that I knew personally and stuff. But there's definitely some um, movies that like, like one specifically I remember seeing at a certain particular time at a point in my life where seeing that was just like. Oh, just just like the character in the movie, that was Office Space. That one was like another one where, as soon as I saw it, it was just like it, it was just, boom, you know. This is one I'm. This is a movie that is, you know, instant favorite, you know. That's a, yeah, just because. But it was almost like a, as, I don't know, it's a poignant little movie for just the, you know, but on the surface it just looks like a silly little comedy. It's made some statements in that movie, you know. Um, I don't know. I'm going to see it like, a, find it to be a deeper and deeper movie. My life is kind of 
strange how it's kind of followed uh, kind of a similar kind of weird trajectory of that character. <laughs> yeah. In some ways. But that kind of, you know, cubicle hell uh, that, you know, Ron Livingston's character starts in. I mean, I got into that like a few years after I saw the movie. And I remember like the irony of all ironies type things is, you know, I was working at Principal Financial Group after I graduated college. It was my first job after college, processing 401k documents. It looks like the scene from Office Space. There's light chatter of rustling of papers. Just sound of sort of like static electricity every once in a while, shuffling feet and tapping of keyboards. <sighs> and everyone's in their little cubicle staring at the computer screen. And right up to the fucking, you know, when he opens the door, it shocks him. Yep. Do that every once in a while, not literally every day, like his character, but like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But at that job once, this is a few years after that movie came out. I remember like some of the ladies that were putting on the whatever the themed party fucking thing was for that thing. They were thinking we should do office space themed. <laughs> yeah, that's no. Yeah, you know, like, then I remember we were going to do the Goonies. It's like, oh, sweet. I mean, like, I think a few other people that were sort of around the same age or something, getting kind of excited about that, and then just randomly it was changed to Finding Nemo. <laughs> for the theme for the whatever thing party it was. I don't know why the... And just remember, next Friday is Hawaiian Shirt Day. Or, you know, casual, casual Friday, um, you know, so, um, uh, if you want, you, um, you can wear a Hawaiian shirt and, uh, jeans, yeah, <laughs> uh, oh, man, that was an awful job, ugh, so deflating, so deflating, oh man, but I remember a girlfriend at the time, then wife, now ex-wife, she was a year behind me in school, so uh, the year after I graduated college, she had to do one year of student teaching, uh, so after she graduated, she applied for ones in the area that we lived at the time, Spokane, but uh, she also applied for ones in Vegas, because Vegas, Las Vegas, was always looking for uh, people, new teachers, it's you know it's Las Vegas, and um, so they'll they'll take a lot of teachers right out of college. So it becomes almost a rite of passage for a lot of teachers to just you know go teach in Vegas for a couple of years and then go back to wherever that it was that they were either originally from or to you know move to some other area where they have family already or something you know. Um, but uh, there's also like uh, I think like Albuquerque and uh, a lot of uh, Native American reservations and stuff like that. There's a lot of places in the country where if you don't, if you have a degree in education but no experience yet and you can't get a job anywhere because you don't have experience, there's places where they, they need you. 
and go get your experience. But, you know, do well. That's the thing. You've got to do well at it. You've got to take it seriously and do the, put your best effort in so that you can get, you know, recommendations and stuff if, if your main goal is to, you know, not settle there. <laughs> I had no desire to ever settle in Vegas. I'd never really been there before, but um, anything was better than working at Principal Financial Group, sitting in a cubicle all day processing 401k documents. So I was like, fuck yeah. When uh, she got uh, offered a job in Vegas, and we made the huge leap to move to Vegas together. We were living together for a bit. So we moved to Vegas, Las Vegas. We have two years in the fucking desert. Huh. I'm not, uh, I like Hunter's Thompson's line, blood is too thick for Nevada. It's, uh, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, uh, yeah, not my thing. Didn't do, I didn't do very well there. I tried, but, um, yeah, it's just not for me. At least not living there. I mean, I suppose going for a day or two. But uh, the thing with living there for a while is you got to go, uh, you know, you got to go visit Hollywood and L.A. at least a couple times. You got to go to Grand Canyon again or um, Valley of Fire, Mount Charleston. <coughs> Get up to Zion. Gorgeous up there. Gorgeous. Mount Zion in, up in Utah. Highly recommend you go visit up there. It's just pretty country up there. We spent a couple nights camping up there. Up, <laughs> oh yeah, up in up in Mount Zion, up up in Utah. Gorgeous, gorgeous area. Beautiful. Um. And then there was oh, and then I I did also go up to Reno one. I had I uh. I think the fucking, the, whatever, the, the fear, whatever the fuck, kind of, around a little after year one of Vegas, living in the fucking desert, just uh, got in a car one day and just started going north, made it to Reno, Highway 95, just a straight shot, with not much of anything in between, it's like, uh, however fucking hundreds of miles it is, middle of fucking nowhere. Two-lane highway at parts. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> Mix, uh, yeah, I mean, living in Vegas for a couple of years, it, it just made me appreciate, like, Hunter Thompson's writing and all that more. I mean, uh, yeah. We're on the edge of the desert. We're on, no, we were, we were just outside of Barstow, on the edge of the desert, when the drugs began to take hold. But, uh, yeah, Reno is, you know, a, like a smaller version of Vegas, but it's got like, uh, I think it's like getting further up north, prettier like mountains in the distance and stuff. It's, uh, if I had to choose between the two, it'd probably go a little more Reno, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not really, not really, uh, nothing against Nevada, it's just not, it's not really my, I was born, you know, on a peninsula and I've lived, uh, about 20 years of my life. Well, no, more now, because the last three years I've back on an island. But, uh, you know, grew up on an island and then moved to another bigger island on the other side of the ocean for three years and then came back to the island. So, 
I like being able to see the ocean. Uh, it just um, <laughs> that actually just really makes me think. One of my one of my uh, co-counselors at my summer camp I worked at one year. He was from Kansas, and he he said he like the trees almost made him made him feel claustrophobic. He's used to seeing this like open, wide open prairie, you know, just as far as you could see out into the horizon. Yeah, I, I kind of get that um, more so with like the water. I like being able to see the water at least a little. I like being uh, at least somewhat close to the ocean. And uh, place I'm at now, if I can I go up on the porch, I can see the Puget Sound. I just dig that. I mean, this. I think it's cool to, that's a cool thing about traveling around, it makes you kind of appreciate more whatever it is you jive with the best, you know, whatever's your best thing, you know. And I I like the Northwest in like the broadest sense, you know, um, kind of Washington, Oregon, that, you know, parts of Idaho, uh, and then, uh, you know, like, Northern California, Western Montana. If they get a little too far Eastern Montana, it gets uh, kind of into like that Dakota type territory, harsh winters and rough country. Tough. Gotta be, uh, gotta be resilient. Uh, live out there. That kind of, that kind of life ain't for everyone. But people are gonna live there. They gotta understand that. You know, if you can live in Montana, then. You're taking on a certain way of life, you know, and you, you gotta, you gotta understand that before you move there. It's not about Republican or Democrat or anything. That it's it's more like knowing how to survive properly. You know how to take care of yourself. Uh, it gets really fucking cold there in the winter. That snows a bunch, and um, you know you need to know how to, you know, just not. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like it's. It's a certain type of... There's a lot of areas in this... In our country that... Aren't... For everyone. You know, and it's not about white or black or... Democrat or Republican. It's just about... You, you gotta kind of understand... The place. You know, because you can't just like... Control the environment or anything, you know. You have to... Adapt to it. Alaska's another one. You know, Maine. A lot of the ones... The further you get from the equator... And then the ones you get like... Further up into mountain ranges and stuff. You know... That's those particular little areas are, are very specific kind of ways of life, you know, and and again, a void of Democrat, Republican, anything like that. It's like it's a specific, very specific region, a very specific climates and stuff like that. And, you know, like you have to kind of adapt to the environment that you're around that nature versus nurture and all that kind of shit like but well you know the environment is what it is so you know you can't control it so you have to know how to exist in it so anyhow I like the more moderate type thing I like it when there's not too extreme one way or the other when it doesn't get too hot doesn't get too crazy cold it may rain a lot, and it might get kind of weird weather here in the northwest, especially the upper northwest stuff, you know, where you yeah, get storms and knock out some trees and stuff, and, you know, it's it's not completely predictable. So it's not just like a little 
chill all the time, but it's, you know, there's like a certain groove to it for me or whatever. I don't know. You, you kind of understand the vibe of it. It's sometimes more difficult when, uh, you know, well, with global warming, climate change and all that kind of stuff, uh, the weather starts, even weather starts doing kind of weird things, you know, it's just, you know, it acts funny. The seasons feel kind of off. They, they feel like either longer or the, just the way they feel, you know, like this summer, it felt kind of extra dry. There's usually at least a few bits of summer showers, the decent, it just seems like it was really light. That's, that's just my, possibly just my personal perception, but it is, did seem like it was a very light in the way of rain as far as summer in the upper northwest section of Washington state. Um, we usually do get a, at least a little bit of summer showers. Usually it's kind of nighttime showers and stuff, but um, it didn't really seem like it was much of that. So it was a lot of kind of really dry and dead grass and stuff and I don't know. And then there's forest fires and cascades, so well, it's a crazy time. Good album that it's been uh, come kind of a well, yeah, just just one to kind of put in and press play, kind of the old school idea of an album album. Where I don't really like pick specific songs out of it or anything. It's just put in, let it go. Marvin's what's going on. It's amazing how incredibly poignant that album still is today. And that one came out in 1970. But I uh, listen to that one often. As a way of just kind of helping make sense of the weird world we're in and constant wars and stuff and I know, destruction of the environment, and we're the, still having some hope that uh, we we can do better. We just have to want to. Anyway, lately I've uh, got the last many years got more into jazz. Jazz is good if for like a free flowing state. That's uh, kind of helps enable that power that kind of uh, just kind of go within a certain framework or whatever. Um, favorite jazz albums all time: Miles Davis, Kind of Blue, Oscar Peterson, Night Train, another Oscar, or I mean, uh, another Miles Davis album, Election with Miles Dave, Davis Quintet. That's a good one. And then uh, a couple different, you know, mine's are, my favorite jazz albums are prob probably fairly traditional, I would, I, I would guess, fairly middle of the road, because uh, I'm not a, I wouldn't say a particular, as broad a jazz connoisseur as I'd like to be, but there's certain ones I just have a specific relation to, you know, kind of connect with. There's a, you know, debut book. Quartet uh, Time Out, that's a, kind of a jazz classic. I love that one, I was actually just listening to that one uh, this morning while making breakfast. It's a good one. 
Um, then there's a few other good Oscar Peterson albums. One they call, uh, called The Giants, he did with Joe Pass and uh, Ray Brown. And there's, um, anyway, there's a ton, but there's really only a few that I kind of like, kind of know distinctly. I can recognize them and I can kind of um, almost kind of like I yearn for that sound or something like, oh, do 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 do, you know, like the opening of uh, Soul Train by um, John Coltrane. Then he also did an album with uh, Thelonious Monk. It's real cool, just real cool. Uh, introspective sounds that come out that uh, just kind of help. I don't know. I, I never understood jazz when I was younger. I didn't really get into jazz until a later. The first jazz musician I kind of understood in any way was probably uh, uh, Dave Brubeck. Was it ever? No, the other guy, the clarinet guy, uh, Benny Goodman. Uh, I think, yeah, Benny Goodman, which is why I played clarinet in middle school. I was like watching PBS one day or something. It was the day before I had to pick what musical instrument. I didn't really know what I wanted to play. Drums seemed like a good one, but for some reason I didn't pick drums. I don't know why, still to this day. Uh, there was a ton of kids that did pick drums, but for some reason I picked clarinet. <laughs> And uh, I kind of regretted it immediately. I just didn't really connect with it. It wasn't my instrument, but it was also just because the sounds I was making didn't sound... They fucking didn't sound anything like Benny Goodman, that's for sure. Jeez, man. You know, mine just sounded like a... A duck fucking... No. That... So it's this, you know... No, no. No, I didn't really connect with it. And then at one point, I think I, you know, subconsciously got rid of the thing or whatever because it, it went missing somehow. I, don't even, I think I, like, set it down and then I think I almost, like, remember seeing some other girl with it, like, walking off with it. And I kind of was like, oh, bummer. I think she has my clarinet. Oh. <laughs> I remember pants being pissed, but I, I just, I didn't... I liked the sound of the way my music teacher played the clarinet. That sounded great. That just for me, it just it, 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 it yeah. It, I didn't really. It just didn't connect to it. it. It wasn't, you know. And so I was like third, and then I was third line clarinet. <laughs> it means you basically play about three or four notes, just kind of over and over again. <laughs> Also played a bit of piano when I was younger. Took piano lessons for a little while. Connected a little bit better with the piano, but still never got like any kind of a flow with it. Uh, you know, I was never like an amazing athlete, but there was a certain flow and understanding I had when I was playing sports, and uh, I was a little tougher as a musical player of any kind to come up with to find my right flow. I would say, more recent years, I became a little bit more confident in my voice being that instrument for me. To be able to make certain types of sounds just with my own voice. So, 
one of my uh, heroes as a kid was uh, he was in the Police Academy movies, Michael Winslow. He used to do all kinds of sound effects. He also had a bit part in Spaceballs. <laughs> but he, and then uh, he did a uh, he was a, did a night at the Improv, an A&E comedy bit once, and uh, he came out as Jimi Hendrix, and just like did the Jimi Hendrix, but just using vocal was able to make all kinds of guitar sounds and stuff. That's it. <clears throat> but yeah, I remember seeing that. I was just like blown away when uh saw that on eighty. That was like still a kid, teenage, maybe early teens. Some of my parents used to watch a lot of stand-up comedy. Um. It used to be like hosted by Rosie O'Donnell, and then uh, so there was a bunch. I used to see a lot of comedians. Remember, so that was that was another group of people that was like looked up to, inspired by just the kind of their flow and stuff, and how they can, you know, write down funny things and then make people laugh, feel good stuff, and and then also some of them make people like think differently about things while laughing like you know like really good ones that I really liked a lot were like that favorite comedians of all time and just sort of, let's see well you gotta like doing like just based off of stand up or just sort of the broader sort of comedic actor thing because there's kind of like categories you know but um Probably going to some more like stand up. Stand ups would be. Uh, let's see. Well, Ron Williams, Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, um, Lucy C.K., Bill Burr, um, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle. Um, Dana Carvey. Sometimes one of the things I like to do is sometimes just over like write down lists. But I don't sometimes coming up with stuff, people's names and some, off the top of my head. It becomes almost like a rush and sometimes I can picture their faces a little bit easier. And you know, the image of them saying a joke and then, you know, me laughing. I'm not good at doing people's bits though very well. It's more like it just... I remember, like, uh, Joe Rogan's last one, he was, he was, like, talking about, um, like, being away from, like, a lady for a long time or something, or, or like, what, like, a dude would be like, would be, like, some, like, fucking caveman coming out there, it's just the, the physical contorting, uh, I remember this, just, it's laughing so hard. It's just, uh, man, sometimes it's, uh, getting those good ones, getting those good laughs out, man. Huh.
much like big it's it easier to get through you get some laughs in man I mean man this is the cause for me all I need is like there's like little 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 like little so this this little this little um um you know this There's just little snippets of of a of a of a bit of a bit of a bit from that one thing I saw that one time over the several years ago. A lot of times, just remembering, and just and just visually, you know. Sometimes just the little things, man. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Dang it, man! I was that I was starting to think of like, you know, favorite like comedians. I was starting about music, movies, just kind of bouncing around a little bit. Then I do a list of my favorite comedians, and they like get all like poopy face. I don't know. I don't know what happened there, but that's because I'm not. I'm not a comedian. I don't really. I mean, I think it would be funny to be a comedian. But I just I don't really like to have damn people laughing at me, you know. I don't I don't want to have people laughing at me. I don't want to be. Fun. Oh. <coughs> Shit. Okay. <clears throat> no, it's it's more like a bit of a slight bit of a slight bit of envy, you know. I always kind of wanted to be kind of like one of those, but I just never really had the confidence as a young guy. It wasn't sharp. Quick, you know, there was always the funny dude, and one my my best bud um, in eighth grade. He was a he was a real f sharp, funny guy. Kind of like crude humor too. <laughs> Derpening. He was a funny guy. Still around. I haven't seen that dude in forever. But uh, yeah. I don't know, I guess my humor school is more random. It's like, you know, being goofy. It's kind of weird and random. Talking in funny voices and stuff like that. I don't know. Sometimes when I get a little nervous, I talk in funny voices or something. I don't Let's see, uh, some other, as we're closing out on the five, five minutes left in this hour here, for this rambling, possibly incoherent podcast, sort of related to music and sports and movies. Did I mention anything about sports? I don't recall. I don't think I did. Hmm. Well, the show is the chance for... Such explorations of fine topics <laughs> in future podcast episodes of Thinking Aloud. I do like sports, though, too. You know, I, I, I played a little baseball, uh, some basketball as well. Um, I played soccer, you know, and ran track, cross country.
Now the funnest experience, sport-wise, I shouldn't say fun, but just the the one that kind of left uh, got into the, kind of the latest in life or whatever, but really kind of took hold of it. It was uh, rugby. I'm kind of that basically became my new favorite sport, and I would still say it is because I, I run a lot now. But it's um, more running, just kind of running, I'm not running for a team or anything. But uh, so the the type of training needed to be a rugby player, and why, um, well, and just <laughs> the cast, the characters you meet when you play a sport like that, and you play club rugby. Uh, yeah, because there's men's and women's club rugby, and a lot of clubs will have both teams kind of playing on the same day, just at different times, you know. And um, you know, kind of all hang out together afterward, you know. So with some beers and food. So it's good times. This is good people. And it's a fun, addictive, exhilarating game. Uh played mostly wing, uh, but uh you know, got to play a little bit of flanker was my favorite position. Didn't get to play that as much as I would have liked, but when I played a little bit for the Spokane Razorbacks, got to play a little bit of flanker and that was that was really fun. Just get to kinda like the equivalent in football would be like a, a middle linebacker slash tight end or something. Because uh, in rugby you play offense and defense. Um, you, you're on the field. Once you leave the game for any reason, other than that you're bleeding, uh, you, you're done. Once you sub out, you're you're done for the day. So if you're bleeding though, you can sub out until you stop bleeding, and then they can uh, you can go back in. But any otherwise, just sub out. Done for the day, yo. So, 15 to a side during the game, and you get seven reserves. It means eight guys are playing all 80 minutes. I get to be one of those a handful of times throughout my rugby days. Seven-ish. Was it that many? No. No, how many was it? Fuck. Six to seven-ish seasons spread out over 12-ish years. Yeah, it's a rough game. <laughs> sure is fun, though. Um, played for the Eastern Washington University men's club team, rugby football club. Then I played for the Spokane Razorbacks. Got injured pretty good, then played for a couple of years. And then played for the Vancouver Sharks, and then the Osu Justice. Then played for the Spokane Razorbacks again for a little bit. All those Vancouver Sharks, I don't think are still around, but the other clubs are very much still around and be happily recruiting new players. But anyway, this is winding down. We'll finish this up. This rambling hour stayed clear of the Trump fiasco, which I feel good about. Not sure how it'll sound after, but hopefully it's cathartic in some way. Corona's still going. Wear your mask in public. Stay safe. God bless. This is Gary. Thinking out loud.